Hello, and welcome to the CND podcast. I'm CND editor James Waldron. If you're like me, you won't have given much thought to how pharmacies operate in France until last year, because it was in October that Health Secretary Matt Hancock exclusively told CND that he wants to see a move towards the French model of pharmacies, where, and I quote, they do more. The Department of Health later clarified that they see pharmacies across the channel as offering a wider range of services to the community. Now, the issue is clearly still high on Mr Hancock's agenda. In fact, the Health Secretary tweeted CND in May to tell us that he had recently met with his French counterpart to discuss their French model further, and he even dropped in a reference to this in his video address to the National Pharmacy Association's conference. So what is the French model of pharmacy, and why is the UK's Health Secretary such a fan? To get an insider's view, I interviewed French former pharmacist and pharmacy representative Anne-Hélène Lebec on stage at the Pharmacy Forum conference in Spain. As a former member of the board of directors for pharmacy network GIFAR, Ms Lebec was responsible for communicating the strategy for this cooperative of 1,300 French pharmacies at a time of significant change for the sector. We had a really interesting conversation and I hope that you find it as enlightening as I did. start by setting out a little bit about how pharmacies operate in France mm-hmm. and perhaps let's kick off with talking about ownership. My understanding is you don't have the same uh, model of a split between larger pharmacy chains and smaller independents as we have in the UK. Exactly, that's a big difference that we have in France compared to you in the UK because in France regulation obliged that the capital belongs to the pharmacist and only the pharmacist. And this is also something that uh, pharmacists are fighting really on, trying to defend because uh, the main reason for that is that they want to keep their freedom and uh, they want to, uh, they really are independent pharmacists and they want to keep that, they want to uh, be able to establish their own strategy. Um, However, they still can belong to some network of pharmacies, same as GIFA, the uh, network of pharmacy I was working with. It was about 1,400 pharmacies all over France and it was cooperative, so which means that uh, the pharmacists choose to uh, belong to this network of pharmacy for some reason, mainly for purchasing reasons, but not only, also to help them to go into a new direction that is providing health services to the customers. So, I mean, it sounds quite positive, and I imagine there's quite a few small independent contractors who look at that model and go, great, I love the idea of kind of having an open playing field and no larger multiple pharmacies maybe kind of um, pushing into that space. Is it seen in purely positive terms or are there any disadvantages to having purely kind of single operator systems? Uh, for the pharmacists, it's very positive. And the government and the health authorities try to maintain this regulation. So because they could change also the rules and they could often the question is, uh, is put on the table saying, right, are we, would that be positive for the development of the pharmacy that if we open the capital to investors, for instance? But in fact, uh, there's no need for that up till now, up till now uh, and the pharmacist uh, wants to keep that. So as long as they're fulfilling their role, you know, what is expected from them, uh, there's not too much pressure 
to uh, to change the rule to open the capital. And you kind of you mentioned investment now. I suppose a key question I have is how does uh, funding operate in France? You've just recently had a new multi-year yes. funding settlement agreement yes. with the sector. Yes, for years and years, I mean, um, the remuneration of the pharmacies came from the uh, the price of the box of the medical drug that were sold in the pharmacy. So the more boxes you were selling, the more money you were earning as a pharmacist. And considering the fact that prices of medical drugs was decreasing, the margin also was decreasing, and the volume, you know, because the prescriber are controlled also by the volume of medical drug they are prescribing, the economical model of the pharmacies were quite in danger. And at that time, you know, the trade union of the pharmacies began to negotiate with health authorities, saying, right, okay, we accept to contribute to cost saving for the, for the French market. For, uh, just to give you an idea, about 5 million, 500 million uh, of saving were coming from medical drugs from the pharmacy. So they said, okay, we accept that, but we have to negotiate other sources of revenues and that is, you know, new services that can be paid by the community, by the social security. And so what kind of services have been commissioned on a national level for this three-year funding settlement? Yeah, so the first one was uh, pharmaceutical interviews with the customers, you know, on two therapeutical categories, which are um, anti-clotting drugs and uh, treatment against asthma. Because... Um, uh, Health authority uh, considered that the products that was clinical treatment that were not well used by the patient, and there were lots of side effects, lots of hospitalization that were costly for the collectivity. And they wanted to uh, better allocate the same amount for these drugs, but to better control, you know, the usage of the medical drug. And and for that, they thought that the pharmacists could highly contribute because the other one, they are the professional who has the patient in front of them, you know. So that was the very first services in France that we had. It was about, you know, on, on only on two categories. And in these interviews was, so you have draft, you have to fulfill a, a certain number of questions, you know, with the patients. It lasted for about 30 minutes and it was paid about 40 euros the first year. The only thing is, it was something new, it was quite, um, uh, pharmacists were paid 18 months after having performed the interview. So that was something they were not pleased, they were not uh, pleased with that. I think and, a lot of yes. contractors can sort of sympathise But to however, payments. Yeah, that was the first step mm. of a new remuneration. Sure. And so is that the main, the, that, that's one of the most historic, that kind of set yes. the foundation. Yes. You now have a quite an array of services that are, are yes. baked into the contract. Yes. And, you know, uh, although there were some, uh, disadvantages, not disadvantages, but some, you know, things to be improved, you know, uh, as I mentioned, in, in terms of payment and administrative aspect. Then came, you know, other services and, for instance, different honoraries, you know, when you're dispensing uh, uh, medication, uh, you have different honoraries. For instance, if you, if you have an old patient, then he needs to have more explanation, or a young patient, then you have a special additional uh, honorary in addition to the price of the medical drug that you're dealing with. That's another thing. And recently, we are 
uh, pharmacies have uh, the possibility to vaccine you know, patients, not all the patients, but following your model, in fact, you know, UK, amongst uh, other European countries, was uh, mentioned as a model. You know, this as is well. through vaccination. Yes, yes, through vaccination. And it has come through an experiment over three years, you know, in which pharmacies were uh, challenged to uh, increase, you know, the flu coverage, uh, the, the flu vaccination coverage. And because the situation was quite bad in France, you know, although we were one of the countries who discovered, you know, new vaccines, you know, um, the vaccine uh, coverage over with uh, all the patients were decreasing a lot. So that was another services. We now have um, same thing as what you have in England, what you call medical uh, medical review. Medicine use reviews yeah, in, medical, in England. Sorry, me. medicine review, and this is um, mandated for uh, all patients who have more than five different uh, drugs regularly used, you know, over six months. As long as you have at least minimum, you know, five drugs, then you can have, you know, uh, about an hour interview with your patient, and you are paid by Social Security about 60 euros. Just to give you an idea, it's about one euro a minute of the pharmacist, you know? So if uh, the, the pharmacist needs about an hour, you know, he's paid 60 minutes. In fact, he's paid 60, uh, sorry, 60 euros, and if it takes two hours, you know, he has to be a bit quicker, you know? Um, And so, I mean, I quite like the uh, the one euro to minute analogy. I think that seems like quite a easy way for pharmacists to kind of uh, French yeah. pharmacists to kind of rationalise their time and what they yeah. think it's worth. Sixty minutes is quite a long time to have a medicines consultation if you're if you're the farm you know if you're the yeah. pharmacist and, yeah. and you would be in a consultation room, same mm -hmm. as in the UK. Yeah. I mean, what kind of impact is that having if with each patient you're having a well, with each patient that you want to conduct this service with, you're taking a full hour to have a yes. consultation? Yes. So of course, these kind of services cannot be performed in very small pharmacies. And this is a tendency in France, you know, small pharmacies on, I mean, less than 1.5 million of euro, you know, the future of this kind of pharmacy is, is a bit problematic. You know, so either they group together or they move, you know, to another place where they are better situated or they group together so that at least, you know, You, you can imagine that you need two or three pharmacists, you know, to be able to perform these type of services. Because as you mentioned, James, you know, when the pharmacist is interviewing or working in the back office, you know, for a, a medicine review, he, he's not, you know, serving and delivering drugs at the counter. Okay, so this is a big change, you know, in the way, uh, in the way the pharmacists are organized. Also, you know, um, some of the pharmacists are organized organizing their activity, you know, in, in the way they appoint, they have on their website, for instance, they can have, you know, slots dedicated for the patients. And the patient from his home can, you know, book 20 minutes or an hour with the pharmacist. And it's uh, sent through the website of the pharmacy and confirmed by SMS to the patient that, you know, on Tuesday, from two to three, it will be Uh, having an interview with his pharmacist just for him, you know. So it's it's totally different as the way they used to to work. And, and with that, you'd be booking with the individual pharmacist. Is that kind of building a patient connection with a particular individual? Would that be I'm just booking to have a medicine review at this at this time, and it depends who's available to mm -hmm. to do it. 
So you mean, does it reinforce the... Uh, is it with an individual? I mean, is it kind of with a... Yes. It'd be with this name? Yes. It's a face-to-face. Yes, it's a face-to-face. And, you know, because if you do not organise your activity like this, you know, the patient is coming at the pharmacy, for instance, when the pharmacy is fully booked, you know, and it's the rush hour, and, you know, you cannot uh, provide your service accordingly to what uh, your customer is expecting. So you have to better organize yourself, better organize your team, and say if you have, for instance, three, four, or five diploma, you can dedicate a pharmacist, you know, for some times of the day, you know, dedicated for patient interviews so that it can be conducted, you know, in the, in the best conditions, you know? I think it's fascinating that, I mean, it's a system that is, is based around independent pharmacies and you know one pharmacist per pharmacy essentially but actually your service funding model is biased towards economies of scale obviously you kind of want to have more than one pharmacy in your branch or have a good relationship with your neighbours so you're still kind of seeing networks of pharmacies grow up even though the legal ownership is yes exactly you can have a network of pharmacy for uh, purchasing reason for uh, as you say branding as well you know that's uh, something that an independent pharmacy cannot manage really and for branding and also I was for instance in charge of trying to uh, focus the pharmacy and train them how to deal with these new services how they should sell that because it's a new way of selling services you know you're not selling a product as you were selling a service and also doing giving also some some marketing you know culture you know that sometimes are missing with the pharmacist and uh, because in fact the situation in France is that the market, you know, the customers are pushing a lot, pushing a lot to, uh, towards pharmacy. They really claim all the market research show that about 60% of the customers of the French pharmacies are expecting, you know, health services. So that's the first point, you know. The situation is very favorable because authorities need the pharmacies to costs to save costs or to uh, to better uh, coach the patient. Customers are expecting you know health services from the pharmacist and so in fact the last uh, hurdle is, is coming from the pharmacist themselves. So they just have to be convinced and to be helped and this is what I'm doing actually uh, to help them to, to go into this new tendency. And uh, this is going quite fast because uh, the main change, as you mentioned, you know, Matt Hancock has met our French uh, Ministry of Health, and she's a, she's a medical doctor. She used to uh, work at hospitals, so she knows from the field. She knows exactly what medicine is and what kind of uh, role a pharmacist can can contribute, you know, to the uh, to the change of the um, of, of many of, of the costs. So she's very pragmatic. She is very. Uh, She's able to decide, for instance, you know, vaccination again. You know, there was a big controversy in France, and she decided that 11 different vaccines should be mandatory for new child. And pharmacists uh, are incented, you know, on their contribution to uh, to develop vaccination, for instance. And each time you have a positive experience, then you have, you know, weapon to better negotiate with the governments for another mission. You know, so it's like a virtuous circle, you know, because you first do the thing even if it's not perfect, if it's, even if it takes time, even if it's not well paid enough, even if it's, you know, if it needs change in the way you're working, if it needs training as well, but you do it, you prove it, 
and then you negotiate. And that's always the best way that has been successful in France, really. And would you say, I mean, it, it sounds to me as an outsider, you, you have a three-year funding settlement, the government has accepted that your dispensing uh, income is dropping and you're kind of trying to replace that with more service-based mm -hmm. income and you have a population that is looking for pharmacists to deliver that. Um, I mean, the key difference I think we have in England, although... You know, luckily, is it, there's far more positive uh, kind of governmental support in, in Scotland and Wales. Is that um, politicians don't necessarily seem to get that? And we, you know, we're at a stage where we're currently having funding negotiations in England um, going on, and it's against a backdrop of a government who's looking to cut the, the funding to pharmacy, almost regardless of you know the effect it will have on pharmacy services on, and the impact on patients. And I, I think we'd all be really interested to hear how you think you've got to such a positive space in France. I mean, having a French, you know, having a health minister who is a trained healthcare professional sounds like the dream. You know, is it as simple as that? They understand, they understand healthcare, they understand how the whole system works, and so therefore yeah. they see pharmacy's role in it. Or is there more to it than that? Yeah. Uh, in fact, we have two uh, trade unions, you know, who are uh, defending you know, the role of pharmacies globally. You know. Um, not the pharmacist himself, but the pharmacist as the owner, but also as a salary. So uh, the profession, in fact, they definitely the profession, and they are constantly discussing with health, uh, with the government and with health authorities, and they are very active. There's only two of them, and they are not really different. In fact, they are going more and more in the same sense. You know, only a few details, you know, in, a, in their... Police. So the sector feels very unified. Yeah, very unified, very unified. And then, you know, the, the network, for instance, you mentioned GIFAR, but even if we don't have, you know, a chain, I mean, even if the capital still belongs to the pharmacist, we have some chains, you know, like GIFAR or Girofarm, or helps also the pharmacist to go in that tendency, saying, you know, for political reasons, you have to go in that because it's, you have to show that uh, to the governments that they can rely on you to better negotiate afterwards, you know. And uh, there are also a uh, nice perspective, you know, to have new missions as well. You know, for instance, in uh, smoking cessation, there will be probably uh, a fee, you know, for uh, having interviews, you know, over a six months period of time, you know, to, uh, to help uh, people who are smoking for patients on the chemotherapy, you know, which are, you know, that more and more uh, uh, anti-cancer drugs are coming to the pharmacy shops, and these are uh, expensive drugs, so they need to be well absorbed and well used by the patient itself. It has lots of side effects, so the pharmacy is a key in order to really better use these expensive drugs. So they will probably have uh, a special uh, a special fee for that coaching, I would say, for that coaching of uh, cancer patients, you know, that are more and more numerous, okay? But, you know, it, it's cost-saving also for the globally, because, you know, all those people used to be um, uh, followed at hospital, and now they come to pharmacy shop. So it's less costly for the, uh, for the community, you know? I mean, there's two really interesting points that jumped out to me there. One was, it's trade unions negotiating. Yes, trade contracts. unions are so negotiating. Very different to over here, yes. where we have, uh, you know, contractor bodies, yeah. um, you know, representing ph pharmacy businesses, uh, 
you know, the logic being that they are ultimately they're the providers. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting too in France it's the pharmacists themselves, so a trade union of the individuals rather than exactly. the businesses negotiating. Yes, exactly. Um, and yet you don't seem to have the friction that we have with similar trade unions for say doctors with the government over in the UK. Was it always been amicable? Or is this is this a place you've got to after you mean, years had, of conflict? Conflicts between the between trade unions of of doctors themselves and, and, and the government in terms mm-hmm. of hours work things like that. Were you ever at that position, or has it actually always been yes. quite smooth sailing? Yes, of course. You know there are some, sometimes some conflicts because GP, for instance, you know vaccination, for instance, is taking from either GPs or nurses. You know, and there are some conflicts at the first step. But then, you know, uh, for instance, we are training pharmacies in order to to uh, improve their communication with uh, the other professional, health professional, nurses, GP, and all that, saying, right, we are together in order to. Um, for the benefit of the patient, you know, and that's typical for the vaccination. And at first, you know, GP were really against pharmacists, but then after six months and all that, you know, because they are working in terms of communication, they are trained in order to uh, to to um, to give some figures, you know, some key figures, saying right, we have uh, uh, enough work for all of us, you know, uh, considering the target that we uh, should reach. So. Um, then it becomes, and also this is a, a challenge for the pharmacists in France, they have to, uh, to improve the relationship between, which they are not used to, mm. uh, you know, to, to, to see out of the box, you know, out of the box of the, the own pharmacy, you know, how do I communicate with a hospital man, clinician, how do I communicate with a GP, with a nurse, and uh, this is also something... Uh, Quite important. Well, I think I mean it's quite it's almost reassuring to, to see that you have uh, some of the similar kind of um, conflicts or or suspicion from GPs when you're launching you know flu vaccinations. Yeah. A very similar thing happened in England. Um, I wondered more widely how pharmacy community pharmacies are perceived in the health in you know in the French healthcare system because you've you've mentioned a number of times about dealing with cancer patients. I imagine yes. that involves some close liaison with specialist doctors and hospitals, presumably at yes. some point down the line. Yeah. Um, has community pharmacy always felt quite embedded in the healthcare, or does it sometimes feel quite separate because it is a high street healthcare um, provider? Yeah, they, they, they tend to work together. I mean, health authority wants to create network, you know, for the benefit of. The patient. the patient is at the centrals, and all the health professionals that are dealing with him should communicate between them. You know that we have, for instance, the dossier pharmaceutique, you know, which is a base, a database where you can, you know, introduce all the medicines. So maybe we should quickly explain that. Um, yes. That's a kind of a shared patient yes, medication record exactly. that you've had access to for about a decade. Yes, a decade. Um, only and, only for medical also, drugs okay. first, and it will be enlarged to all the professionals, especially with the uh, medical uh, clinicians as well. You know, and this comes from the pharmacists. So that was also something very positive. Because this is systematic, you know, as soon as you sell any drugs, you know, either OTC or RX drugs, you know, you, uh, with a card of the patient, you introduce it and you save all the data, all the prescription, all the medical drugs that the patient has taken, even, you know, sore throat uh, tablets and all that, everything, you know, is stored for four months, you know, in, in, a, in a common database. So from all over the territory, every pharmacist can get access to Mr. Durand, what kind of drugs is he on, you know, for the last four months, you know? And this will be enlarged, as I said, you know, to the medical doctor. So the pharmacists have been really successful on that. And that's the French pharmacist organization that has implemented that. And this was really successful. Um, yeah, I was really fascinated to hear that. I wonder, 
if we can drill a little bit back into the actual funding model itself, um, yeah. we kind of touched on the services, touched on the three years, three year system. Can you explain a bit more about what the balance currently is between pharmacies in terms yeah. of their dispensing income for yeah. medicines and services they're delivering? Mm -hmm. And is that expected to change during mm -hmm. the three years of this funding yeah. settlement and in future? Yeah. Normally, you know, for a, a, a normal pharmacy, and um, 80% of this turn of, of the margin is coming from ethical drugs, which means drug under prescription. And 20% is coming from the rest, which means either OTC drugs or cosmetics or any other thing. For instance, uh, you know, for old people, you know, all the beds and that, that you can sell as well. So 20%, 80%, okay? And the, the share, the margin coming from the 80% is increasing a lot. And this has to be compensated by new services that is providing revenues, you know, and the revenues are, can come from different sources. The first one is social security, so that's funding paid by the uh, health authorities, but also by the, how do you say, the uh, insurance, private insurance, you know, that can be interesting by providing services also for their members, you know, but for instance, uh, cardiovascular risk, diagnosis, for instance. So some revenues can come also from insurances. Uh, some patients are ready to pay for some health services. For instance, nutrition interviews, some patients are paying for that. Um, smoking cessation, some patients accept to pay for that. Um, tests for sore throat, for instance, patients accept. Some patients accept to pay for that, you know. Um, and the fourth source of revenues can come from pharma companies. Because pharma companies, you know, the more uh, pharmacies, French pharmacies are going into clinicians or health services, you know, the more they can be a new goal for pharma companies. I mean, for ethic, ethical uh, companies, I mean, uh, Lili, Sanofi and all that. And this is something also which is changing a lot because this can bring also new revenues, which means when I am a, a pharmaceutical company, I decide to launch a quite complicated drug, auto-injectable injectable drug, for instance, I need to, to coach and to explain the treatment to my patient. Who is the best person except the pharmacist that could have a 15-minute interview, you know, paid by the um, pharma companies, just explaining, you know, the key, points of the treatment, you know. Then the patient is very satisfied because he's helped in his treatment. The company also is very satisfied because, you know, the treatment is well understood and well, uh, and, uh, and the social security as well because, you know, the, the patient would be better observant, you know. Um, so you see four different sources of revenues in terms of providing health, new health services. Great. I mean, one thing I'm not sure if we had already mentioned, the apologies we have, was that in France, pharmacies have exclusive right to, to dispense any medicines, including yes, OTC. Yes, you're right, James. Medicine. You need to mention that, mm -hmm. yes. So not do, you think that's quite, do you think that's affected how, how you're perceived, maybe by the public and by, mm -hmm. uh, by the sector as well, because you're not kind of spreading some of your function is something that over here is sometimes, you know, can be done by a supermarket. Mm -hmm. It's very much, this is, pharmacies are mm -hmm. the only place you can receive medicines, mm -hmm. receive medicines advice. Mm -hmm. And that's maybe given you or carved out your own niche slightly more successfully than you can. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a high, strong pressure, you know, from the supermarket and all that, and Leclerc to, to, to have some, you know, OTC drugs, you know, out of the pharmacy. Sure. Up till now, the French government, as long as the pharmacists are really... Uh, well aligned with the French policy of health, you know, they are still protecting that. 
but there's a strong pressure on that. And you, you can find only OTC in pharmacy shops, only in France. So that's that's the point. And also, as mentioned by the uh, previous speaker, you know, the uh, patients trust the pharmacist a lot, so that's a very good point. And also, you know, the, the economical model should be preserved, you know, for pharmacy because they are, uh, we have in France about 21,000 uh, 21, pharmacy all over France, and this is something, you know, in the healthcare system, very important. So if uh, economy of the pharmacy should be really uh, in danger. You know, if if you can imagine that uh, the pharmacy should be fifteen thousand, for instance, this could affect also the uh, uh, the repartition of the uh, professional health. You know, all over France, we we are we are still have a lack of uh, clinicians, and and the pharmacist is still uh, something a very solid pillar for the uh, for the health authorities. So you've got pharmacies, a solid uh, pillar yes. for health authorities. You've got a government who really backs what your role is, yeah. and you've got, um, you know, an accepted uh, journey from pure dispensing towards more service-based yes. income. Yeah. It, it sounds, in many ways, like a far improved system to what we have in England, certainly in terms of the perception of pharmacy. Uh, it, are French pharmacies just happy? Do they have any gripes, or are there any areas? <laughs> well, they're always complaining. You know, I don't know how it is in the, in the UK, but they're always complaining in France. And mainly, it's we have a high, you know, administrative burden. It's always lots of, you know, administrative aspects. But even that, you know, government has also uh, is also entered in a in a way of simplifying all that. You know, what we call simplification administrative. So reduce the burden and you know of all these administrative aspects. And also, as soon as you know, the pharmacist has proven their ability to do to uh, implement the service, then they can negotiate so to uh, have better funding or, or you know, being uh, paid earlier or have less administrative aspects. But um, no, they're, they're complaining about that mainly, and it's also a big change for them. Mm -hmm. This is why they need to be helped, they need to be coached, they need to be trained as well, and they need to have partnership also with either pharma company or dedicated company that could help them in order to go in that new direction. You know? Well, I think I've got time for, well, we're out of time, but I'm quickly going to squeeze in one yeah. extra question, which was, uh, if you had any advice for the Brit uh, UK pharmacy industry to kind of maybe achieve the level of political recognition and acceptance that you've got mm -hmm. in France, what do you think, what are the secrets? Yeah. I would say organise your, your lobby and, and your representative that could negotiate with health authority, that's very important. You know, be the more as possible aligned, you know, don't try to have, you know, very speciality, I'm, I'm not, I don't agree with that. Just do the thing, do the experiment, prove that you're able to get some results and present them through your representative to health authorities, saying we are able to do it, we are saving that, this is for the benefit of the patient, uh, the drug is better uh, absorbed or, or better observed, you know, uh, but go into it even if it's not perfect, and then negotiate, and then negotiate, and try to get rid of the small differences between you, you know, keep the main focus, the main uh, idea aligned. Great, okay, well I'm sorry we don't have time to take questions now, but Anne-Helene will be there at the coffee break if you want to chat. Um, all remains to say is merci beaucoup, thanks merci. for joining us. Merci, merci. Merci James. 
So there you go. I hope that shed some light on a model of pharmacy that may seem very familiar in some ways, but also has some key differences. Keep an eye out on the CND website for more details about the French pharmacy model, and make sure to like and subscribe to this podcast. Thanks for listening.